Welcome to Arrest on Links. My name is Ben Tell and this is the Creative Innovation Podcast. Welcome back. It's been a while. Not done this thing for uh, for some time now. I've been concentrating on writing and illustration. And the nice thing about this show is it just kind of plugs in when it feels right, when the right guests and stories come up. So thank you for still being here, those who are listening, and for persevering and being patient. It means a lot. How are you all doing? I hope you're good. It's been a, oh, it's been a surreal, psychedelic, crazy time. I mean, the words elude me to sum up this bizarre time. Um, it's also something we'll remember forever. Um, what those, what the reasons we remember it for are ours to own. They're, they're going to be different for everyone, right? I know people who've struggled. I know people who've thrived. I know people who've had a bit of everything in between. Um, and a lot of it feels out of our control, which is, I think, the source of the angst. But we won't go on about that too long. You can drop us those thoughts at Arrest Mix on the social media. Today we've got a big episode coming up on personal projects. It's a two-part monster, a behemoth, an absolute gigantuan passion fest. That's what we'll call it, a passion fest, if that works. Um, but first, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. I do want to thank you, but I want to thank the founding sponsors, illustrationx.com, fantastic illustration agency, working right across the board with animation, illustration, GIFs, fashion illustration, design, all kinds of visual communication loveliness. So check them out, illustrationx.com. I also just would like to mention their 10 Million Trees initiative, uh, which is fantastic. So every time you commission one of their illustrators or animators, you're not only benefiting from outstanding artistic and creative talent, but you're also helping them create a healthier planet uh, and hopefully to alleviate global poverty. So that's because since 2013, Illustration X has been donating 1% of its turnover to systematic tree planting and protecting help reverse the rate of global, the rate of global warming. So in 2018, they passed the 1 million trees mark, which is fantastic. Uh, I believe it's now 1.5 million, which is going at some crazy rate. Um, and they are now setting their goals firmly on planting and protecting a total of 10 million trees in Zambia and the Ethiopian Rift Valley. So that's awesome stuff. Um, and they're working in conjunction with We Forest, who are their partner tree planters. And it's, it's growing all the time. And uh, the, the big initiative that they're a part of is the 1% for the planet. So go and check that out. Uh, the background to the thinking is that on a two-year sabbatical, spent motorcycling around the world, Illustration X's CEO Harry Lyon-Smith was shocked to witness the degree at which the natural world was being rapidly marginalised by the joined-up scale of urban and industrial expansion, in particular the widespread loss of forests. So go and have a look. There's an awesome event coming up also. Uh, and that is on Eventbrite, and it's called Rewilding, Tapping into the Power of Nature. So if you put Real Rewilding in the search bar on Eventbrite, I believe it's the second one there, but you'll see it, Rewilding, Tapping into the Power of Nature. So thank you to those guys. Big thank you also to the Association of Illustrators, regular sponsor of the show, doing fantastic work for the illustration industry, from contractual help and advice to uh, speaking events for inspiration to... Uh, the World Illustration Awards and all sorts of good work so go and check out those guys theaoi.com thank you that is the business so where do you find me and where do I find you let's have that conversation personal projects so why why are we doing this well they're a big part of my career um, 
what can I say it was a, a very early lesson in my career that the personal and the passionate opens doors it opens many doors it, it showcases many things from character to ability to nuance to um, a unique voice there are so many things that as good as our client work is at times and it can provide space to do this in commercial work don't get me wrong but often you cannot compete with the self-initiated and many of my favorite projects out there that just show such a blast of creativity and a unique voice and really do get the creative juices flowing are indeed that self-initiated projects i've always found such intimate projects completely um fascinating and that's that's why i wanted to do an episode showcasing a number of personal projects done by other people so the, the motivation or the idea the seed for this project this podcast i should say is from my new writing venture so during lockdown i've written two books and launched an author brand and it's exciting it's incredibly exciting and it's also quite daunting to be starting off again in a new field you know 12 years into this career as a freelancer to take a sidestep and apply the values that bring eyes to my illustration work which come very much from the character you know that rawness that human hand aesthetic which is something i have to do because if i try to polish anything it falls apart to apply that to writing is incredibly exhilarating for me and it's coming across in such a way so i've had some awesome feedback from people and but it's also you know it's scary you worry about you know your mum and two other people buying the book and then it, you know you've invested all this money and you think what am i doing wasting my time doing that when i should be illustrating but these books are incredibly personal intimate projects that come from a pure place a place that is both coping for me with a with a challenging time not just lockdown but i became a twin parent in january and you know it's it would be a hell of an intense period of my life early in this year so to produce two books during that it wasn't you know it wasn't what i was neglecting any of that stuff of course i wasn't it was something i had to do for me and if no one ever read that stuff i would have done it anyway because i was in love with the work i was doing it was built on the personal stories that i've written about um and it was coming from a place of both coping and observation of the world around me okay so it was a completely pure creative expression these books um why did it take on the form of writing i do not know to be quite honest i've always been in love with storytelling and that manifested itself as illustration for me because that was the organic path which my career and my studies took but underlying all the way was, was this love of words love of books love of just um the way the imagination is fired when you hear a good story it's something fundamental to human nature isn't it we've, we've told stories since day dot so i love writing them and i love talking about the lesser chronicled things around me um and what happened during lockdown was i noticed everybody was coping in some way with this unprecedented situation we found our society in and i chose to chronicle this fictitious middle class um suburban community coping not coping um raging with psychedelic brain waves whatever people were doing i wanted to kind of do a through the keyhole behind the curtains look in a fictitious 
black comedy fashion. But it was also very cathartic because I was also dealing with themes that people were really going through. So for any parents of kids of a certain age, they were dealing with full-time teaching at home whilst juggling full-time jobs. I know people who were pregnant at that time to throw that on top of it. And it was a complete clusterfuck from start to finish, right? And this whole thing has been, hasn't it, from the government down, let's face it. Um, so that book was my, that was me. You know, I set up an Instagram account called Stories with the Apocalypse because that was the overriding theme. Not of the time. I wouldn't refer to this time as any kind of apocalypse. It's a big change, but it's not an apocalypse, is it? Let's be right. Um, that title was alluding to the fact that in today's society, with the pace of things, with the fucked up mix of truth and spin going on, and you know, in politics and everything, uh, climate change, all these things, I noticed over the last few years that people are increasingly on the brink and coping in many, many ways, just about clinging on. So that's where the title came from Stories for the Apocalypse. So, the you know, it was a daily post on there during lockdown. And it ended up becoming Isolation Watch, Falling Apart in the Pandemic, which is my debut book. And that's out just as an ebook because I wanted to get that thing out there rather than it festering on a hard drive. And what that did is it was the first thing to get my fiction words into a context that was digestible, that I could sell, that I could build a brand around. And at the same time, I'd been working on a project called British Subculture Artifacts. And by that, I meant the found street items that not necessarily exclusive to Britain, but they are iconic to these dirty streets of ours. And it was everything from knackered hubcaps to cigarette butts and beer cans, uh, you know, glove on a fence, the more obscure things that we see around, dog shit bag hanging from a tree. And I had great fun creating an artwork based on a shared joke with a friend of mine. So over WhatsApp, we would share images of these found items. And he said, look, you've got to do this in your style. So that's what I went and did. And the feedback was incredible because it was inherently personal. It could only really have come from our brains, my brain, when it came to the artwork. And I didn't feel like the pod, the project should end there. So what I did was I'd been writing these stories which kind of fit the bill. And all of a sudden, in these 21 found items from the street, I had 21 little briefs to write these these stories around. And for anyone who's been following, you know, following my social media recently, your Mum and Other Stories from the Back Streets of Britain is the book that I'm really getting behind. So it's going to be, it's my third book, it's my second fiction, but I call it Faction. It's a mix of fiction and faction and it's, and it's incredibly personal. So that was the catalyst for this podcast. So that book is out on the 22nd of October. It's available to pre-order now. Yeah, it's 21 very raw, gritty, black comedy and also quite poignant and serious reflections on this British society that we live in based around these items so it's illustrated it's an independent venture it's available in paperback it's going to be out in audiobook and ebook formats from the 22nd of october so get your copy it's a very short run um but i'm not here to just sell that book so the idea is that this is one of the most personal projects i've ever done and i've always been a big believer in the personal project um there's a story from early in my career so i did these very weird um interpretations of society at the time these these illustrations and I remember doing this one uh, series called the Versus series and it was fictitious boxing slash wrestling posters coming from my love of wrestling um, and they were pitting these very very unlikely people against one another so one of them was Tyson versus Thatcher, Maggie Thatcher versus Mike Tyson in a first blood match 
And that was partly inspired by a guy I used to share a studio with who had a complete loathing of Maggie Thatcher and everything that her Tory government stood for and did in the 80s, you know, to his working class community. So the passion of that kind of got in the back of my subconscious. And I can't remember what Tyson was up to at the time, but here goes this blast of a line drawing with uh, ink on it. And the poster got a, a quite the reaction out there on social media and in the press and it got picked up by Computer Arts Magazine who covered the Versus series and it was one of the first bits of press that I ever did and that was incredibly exciting for me but what it did is it got seen by a Channel 4 director and off the back of that he gave me my very first job outside of editorial which was a E4 television trailer for Skins on E4 and it opened my eyes and I thought oh my god you know this stuff gets seen and it gets noticed because it's coming from such a pure place that is really personal that I hadn't yet done in my you know my commissioned work that it resonated with people because they want character and they want soul because it's the arts for God's sake they don't want banal design that's just done to look nice and nothing else they want soul and they want feeling and they want anger and they want anything else that is packed into these personal works so it always stayed with me and I've always made time to do that work and that's because I've always sought the feeling of magic and I think back to art college and you know the, the refreshing feeling of walking through that door after after however many years at school wearing a uniform having to put your hand up to ask to go for a piss and all that bullshit that we have to deal with at school was gone when I walked into art college and it felt like this bohemian environment and the rush that I used to get going there every day and getting to create these things all week, every week, and not having to do maths and fucking RE and, and shit like that was incredible. And I've always chased that feeling ever since. And I think it's so fundamental to staying creatively alive and engaged and full of wonder that we, we have to do that. And when you stop doing that, that's when you find that you kind of burn out or lose the love of that creative, you know, creative magic feeling that we all should be seeking. So that's why I wanted to do this project off the back of the two new books that I've written. So if you want to go and have a look at that work, it's bentallenwriter.com. You can pre-order the book. You can check out the whole brand that I've set up. And I would love your feedback because there's some quite interesting photography, um, short stories there, free to read. You can get any of the books on there, including Champagne and Wax Crayons, which is my debut book, a brutally honest account of what it is like to try to forge a career based on creativity. That book got translated into Japan, which was mind-blowing because it started out as a, an angry rant on a blog. So go and check it out, and off the back of that, that's why I want to chronicle these projects. Um, so, something that came up, right? There's always someone, I find, when you talk about these projects, that kicks back and goes, Oh, it's alright for you. you, you've got the fucking time you know, to, do, to do this work, and you don't have kids and all this stuff, and... I think it's about being resourceful and making time because you, we have to do this stuff for us, right? It's a very personal career. We don't choose to do this work to be just under someone else's guidance for our entire career. Hopefully, I just think it's a universal truth that anyone in the arts did this because they wanted to say something, they had something to express, right? And when you can't do that, you get stifled. I just think that's a truth. And I think it's always possible. So Emma Isaacs, who runs a fantastic Creative Ways podcast, if you want to you know, go and check out more podcasts uh, in our industry, it's a, it's a belter. Emma's passion and fire is uh, infectious and she's a great interviewer. So I guessed on that show, and that episode's going to be coming out soon, I think around the time of the release of the book. So you can have a listen to that because it's really been quite refreshing to be the guest on some podcasts. 
But Emma asked about making the time and, you know, how has it been writing these two books under lockdown conditions, juggling commercial work and two new children, two new babies. And it's been absolutely knackering, if I'm completely honest. You know, I've done it at the, the cost of sleep. But that's because I have to do it for me. There's a part of my character that has to be creating something and making something for me. So how do you, you know, I want your thoughts on this, guys. This isn't just about celebrating beautiful work. It's about the ways that people do these projects. How do they find the time, you know, to, to make their own work with no immediate financial gain, which I guess is the, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the pillars of creative work. It's not that these projects that I'm going to be documenting on this podcast don't make money. The brilliant thing is that when personal work goes on to make money, it's the best feeling because it's come from you and that's the dream. So I guess that's it. That's why I want to do this episode. So over these next two episodes, this is part one, of course. I want to chronicle just the best stuff out there. For me, personally, it's very indulgent. It's my personal favourite stuff. But I also want to hear from you. So if there's work that you've done yourself, send it at Arrest on the Mix on the social media. I will share it on Twitter. I will retweet that stuff out there to get your work exposure. I will retweet your personal favourite projects of other people. So chuck them at me let's get them out there let's get this pure work shared so i've talked enough about me thank you for listening go check out the book but off the back of that let's get on to other amazing people now and i talk about magic and that brings me to the first project and that is graham wood's knockwood cards so graham is an artist and designer an all-round creative human he's a wonderful person i am i had him on uh the podcast not too long back you can go and check it out in the archive um, or just google it i can't remember the the episode number off the top of my head um but go back and look for it it's easy enough to find graham says um sorry i've jumped off track there so graham's an artist and designer an all-round creative human he's a founding member of tomato which were applied art and design and, and tomato were so far be ahead of their time that they still are fresh today they did all sorts so they worked with underworld on amazing moving image music videos print design all kinds of things they, what was great about tomato is they'd never put up barriers in terms of discipline and where the work fit if it felt right they created and they made awesome things and it's as simple as that so graham says about personal project he says one of my absolute favorite people vaughn oliver now very sadly the late Gron, uh, vaughn oliver claimed to never have done any personal work at all he said i suppose and it's an educated guess that because everything he did was very very particular and driven by his voice um he always saw himself as very much serving the content a commercial artist in all the best ways so it's absolutely right and i think when you find that balance of the two it's the best feeling because we you know parameters of a brief and serving the content is an awesome buzz but so is picking something out of nothing and, and creating it simply for you um if you hear any engines revving by the way this is the first time i've recorded an arrest on the mix podcast from my car so that's what i'm doing i'm in a salford car park as we speak with an all-day ticket so i can sit in this beautiful improvised music studio <laughs> that's where we're at with this podcast anybody who listens regularly will know that so william charnock is a strategist and over four or five years he worked with graham on these knockwood cards and it's an absolute incredible project 
Um, and anyone who's seen Graham speak or looked at his work, you'll see the references to magic. And when I say magic, I'm talking M-A-G-I-C-K. We're talking Alistair Crowley magic. We're talking making something pliable and bringing it to life. That's creativity and that's what we're on about. And Graham Woods talks about that stuff in, a, in the most ethereal, um, engaging, surreal ways. He's a fascinating speaker, is Graham, and I, and I love his references to this stuff. I grew up with a mother who um, was fascinated in magic and all that stuff, and is to this day, so I'm very open-minded when it comes to that. And I completely get where he's coming from in terms of creativity being just that. So on to the project. So William Charnock says, after 30 plus years of working with brands, I had many lists of values, behaviours, personalities and archetypes that I'd collected over the years, but no systematic way of diagnosing brands and uncovering potential new strategies. Like all strategists, I used the traditional 12 Jungian archetypes, but they were too narrative, flat, familiar and unsurprising. There were no tensions that would lead to something great, fresh, or exciting. It was difficult to make them inspire actions and behaviours that I would differentiate a brand and propel it forward on a new trajectory. I saw patterns in my lists and discovered I could group almost everything into six core human motivations and drivers that had remained the same since the beginning of time. Wow, fascinating stuff. These were validated by everyone from Hippocrates, Alchemists, Jung, Older, Holland, Chiesi, and anyone, everyone identified on the Knockwood key. About this time, I fell down the rabbit hole of alchemy and magic and realized that the tools of ancient magicians could be as powerful today as they once were. Tarot and chaos magic specifically had little mysticism associated with it. It was practical in its application. Cards were tools, diagnostic frameworks to open our minds to new options, um, choices and actions that were previously unseen or unconsidered. I decided I needed a deck of brand tarot cards that brought together behavioural archetypes with a procedure that could provide quick and accurate diagnosis and revelation. With that, the structure of the Knockwood deck was conceived. At the instant of, concep of conception, I knew the designer I wanted to design these cards. In all my years of working with some of the best designers and creative minds in the world, there was only one person that could design this interconnected matrix of beauty, magic and revelation. And of course that was Graham Wood. So Graham says, from a personal perspective, I've always intuitively felt that personal work drives the commercial. So it's been infused in things I've done since I started college. It's an intrinsic part of working for me. For times I, from times where I have nothing, work, money, ideas, to when I'm overwhelmed taking even just a few minutes to make a note or have a thought or a shape it's the one thing above all that keeps me alive in terms of work so from college work to tomato and on I've always tried to be making something anything um, that's interesting to me because when I first turned up um, at Graham's house to record the Arrest on the Mix podcast he guested on um, he was toying around whilst we drank our coffee with this um, piece of VR software building, you know, a whole world. Just playing, just playing for no other reason. And that's what this is about because it doesn't mean there can't be an outcome at the end of it. But let's feel the project, let's feel the process and make the thing alive before we think about the end result. And you'll find that that's a thread between, you know, underneath a lot of these personal projects. So that sums up Graham. And, and I think that marriage between William and Graham in this project, the respect um, to handpick Graham for those reasons, 
is what really brings this project alive visually so do go and check it out i'm going to grab a deck of those cards myself i think and, and just play with them and see what comes from that because this is these are the you know ripple effects that come from these awesome projects so do head over and have a look at knockwoodcards.com and that's project number one number two uh, I, sh I should preface this by saying there's no particular order this isn't the countdown this isn't the radio one top 40 this is just a big thatch of a wonderful work that has grabbed me throughout my career and before number two kingsley nebechi's tribe hunters so kingsley made a beautiful limited run artist book called tribe hunters um kingsley's got an interesting backstory and then again you can go back and check that out on arrest on the mix in the archive um born in italy he moved to north london in his younger years and he talks on the episode about being inspired by his mother's fawn doodles which had a tribal feel to them and i love that story and that's amazing the people's earliest seeds of where they end up so tribe hunters in the aftermath of the final war civilization has collapsed nature has begun to reclaim the environment forcing humans to adjust to cities in ruins and return to the jungles and woodlands let's hope that's not going to happen anytime soon because there are no fucking woodlands left sorry <laughs> amongst the survivors are the tribe hunters a community of people who combine their varied skills to help each other overcome the challenges of the extreme conditions tribe hunters is an art book featuring characters and environments from a post-apocalyptic world so i met kingsley um and through my rants on tumblr which became champagne and wax crayons i was an angry freelancer sat in my bedroom and kingsley got in touch to say are you all right bro i'll never forget that email and we connected over that and we ended up becoming friends when i moved to london and kingsley is an awesomely talented illustrator um and i love these kind of projects because it's just something he wanted to make he wanted to play with this world and these characters and it's a beautiful piece of illustration and design um whether you'll be able to get one now i don't know though i think there was only a hundred ever made and i love that less is more make them sought after make them special so i think that says it all you can go and look at the project over at kingsley nebechi which is spelled n-e-b-e-c-h-i.co.uk um go and have a look at the project the whole of the whole web address is that kingslinebetchy.co.uk forward slash tribe hyphen hunters go and check it out he's awesome it's just been signed to uh, bna reps bernstein and andruli um brilliant agency representing a few people who've been on this show including rod hunt stanley chow stands going to be coming up as one of the projects later in this show so nice work kingsley go and check out tribe hunters number three is sarah prinsloo's it's okay zine it's okay zine is jam-packed with creative goodness themed around mental well-being and mental health we have teamed up with 30 creatives who took on the challenge um the outcome is super amazing it includes personal stories of experiences thoughts and struggles with mental health the purpose of the zine is not only to raise money for charity but to encourage a creative outlet as a form of communication we want to inspire readers to consider communicating their feelings and thoughts and to see that you are very much not alone all profits from the zine go straight to papyrus suicide charity this is um a massive personal crusade of mine creativity and mental health anyone who's followed my career in any form will know that whether it's this podcast my express campaign with calm 
campaign against living miserably is a male mental is a male mental health charity working to prevent suicide which sadly is three to one in the ratio of guys because of the old macho bullshit stigmas but sarah had a tragic loss of our own and we had a very chance encounter when i put on my collaborative exhibition with andrew cotterill music photographer called lend me your ear in london uh, in 2019 sarah turned up only days after she'd had a monumental tragedy in her life a personal loss which I'm not going to go into detail about because it's not my place to do so. And she was completely lost at sea, which was, um, you know, interesting that she should turn up to an exhibition that was dealing with these themes, self-expression, mental well-being, identity, creativity. Uh, we were doing that through the medium of, of music and this wonderful images that Andy had shot over all these years of these very pure characters who expressed exactly who they were and had succeeded in their field because of that. So when Sarah came in with her wonderful family who were all skateboarders, we, we had a conversation and she talked very openly. Thankfully, because of the nature of the exhibition, it kind of opened up this floor for open and honest conversations which had been going on throughout the whole time I was manning the exhibition. And Sarah just opened up and told me what had been happening. And to have that conversation with a stranger is absolutely... The circumstances were tragic, but it was a joy to have that human connection in such a way that was so open and I felt honoured to, to that Sarah would choose to do that and we had a bit of a bond you know we, we, made, we made a connection and I asked if I could take a picture of her and the family um, standing in front of their favourite work from the exhibition which was the Sleaford Mods piece and I'll never forget that day and, and what happened was we connected and Sarah then went on to create It's Okay, a brand which was her way of saying it's okay to talk about these things and to get this stuff out there and we must create around it. So her zine is, is a collection of people expressing and opening up in the same way. I was a part of it, I provided a couple of illustrations and Sarah actually published my very first fiction short story. Uh, in the zine which was a huge buzz for me so you know it just goes to show when we open up what happens and, and where it can go you can support that project at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash sarah hyphen prinsloo which is p-r-i-n-s-l-o-o and i believe they're gearing up for um a second round of the zine it's a very wonderfully rough expressive creative publication that you should support papyrus with by grabbing a copy and you can do that over at sarah s-a-r-a prinsloo at dot co uk go and check it out that's number three number four adelaide de mowers in the mind of the colonizer this is a wonderful project really really amazing so i met adelaide I believe at an exhibition at Second Floor Studios and Arts, which was where I had my unit at the time, in Woolwich. And it's a big industrial site of studios down there. And they always encouraged collaboration. It was run by Nicole Herbert Wood, who now um, has moved the site over to Deptford. Yeah, that's right, Deptford. And I think they got a smaller one up in Wembley. So Adelaide de Moa um, is, is a very... Um, She's an artist who works across so many fields. She, she was doing a series of artist in, interviews at the time and she had me on the series. And I've been fascinated with Adelaide's work and kept an eye on it ever since. So this project, In the Mind of the Colonizer, Adelaide de Mora spent years searching for books, stamps, photos and maps relating to the British Empire. In 2018, she found an archive of out-of-print books relating to the empire printed between the mid-17th and the mid-19th century. There were 204 in total. 
of the books you discovered, Damoa states, what I have read so far with my 21st century eyes has been a revelation. Not an altogether surprising revelation. However, it has helped me to place our present situation, race, migration, immigration, in context relative to our history. The discovery of these books has prompted Adelaide to deepen her lifelong mission of investigating the history of colonisation and to utilise the texts in her studio and performance practice. She has named the overall project Confronting Colonisation. Um, so there's a quote and it's by Ellis T. Powell quoting Cecil Rhodes in The Sheaves of Empire, A Light on the Higher Aspects of Imperialism, 1910. Um, and it's one of the books in the found archive and it says just think for a moment what it is to have been born an Englishman how think how many millions of men there are in this world today who have been born Chinese or Hindus or Kafirs but you were not born any of these you were born an Englishman um, and Kafir is a derogatory term used for black people during that time, mostly in South Africa. Here we see Cecil Rhodes, the father of apartheid, expressly placing himself an Englishman above all men. Of the passage, Adelaide de Moa states, This kind of language and belief system is at the heart of everything I have read so far from this time period. From the mouths of the colonisers themselves, who were mostly the elite. The colonial project simply could not have worked, could not have been justified, had they not ensured that all of the races were dehumanised and made, made subject races lesser than. The Moa is the channel by which the previously unknown became known again, bringing history to life, a rebirth via the ritual of the Ghanaian funeral, bringing the unknown back into the known to become known again as the shadow figure. The imaginative process of the uncanny, before each performance, Damoa consciously channels the image and spirit of her great-grandmother, Emma. Through this conduit, Emma comes to life. It is of great importance for this performance, as Damoa considers it a way of paying her respects to the past, dressed in Ghanaian funeral attire, reminiscent of the colonial era in its appearance, while simultaneously being traditional and hence pre-colonial. Damoa read aloud from the selected texts, her hands coated in what looked like dried blood, made from paint and food dye. She then proceeded to envelop her hands in shea butter from Ghana. In order to activate the paint, which she then placed on the pieces of manuscript and continued to read, further into the performance, Damoa invited the audience to cut away her clothes, referencing Yoko Ono's 1965 cut piece, and they continued to cut until pieces of cloth were piled on the floor and her apparently bloodstained skin and underwear were exposed. She reactivated the dried paint with shea butter and proceeded to print her body onto large sheets of printed texts which were strewn on the floor, leaving a shadow of the past on the present. As the site of colonial violence, the body has the power to recall past traumas and heal old wounds, to represent one's ancestry and anticipate one's legacy. After performing in London, Damoa was invited to Oslo at the end of 2019 to perform at Rafiki Arts Festival. During the London and Oslo performances, the audience followed instructions and the atmosphere was tense, but calm and concentrated. In New York, the audience was different. The atmosphere was tense and stifling. The room was packed and warm. During the cutting part of the performance, one of the audience members cut off a piece of his shirt rather than cut the artist's clothes. Another audience member cut the paper she was reading from. Yet another placed scissors in her waistband and a lady cut a piece of her own hair and dropped it on the floor. Finally, a young man took the scissors and threw it to the back of the room, effectively halting this stage of the performance. 
of the performance, Demoa said, I could not have anticipated the reaction of the audience to the cutting. It was p powerful and emotional. It felt like there was a mix of emotions, anger, sadness, rage. I could not see exactly what the audience members were doing as my attention was focused straight ahead. I was in the zone. The violence of the way the scissors landed at the back of the room brought me back to reality. I almost cried. It was overwhelming. At the end of the performance, I sought out the man who had thrown the scissors to find if he was okay. He nodded and then he burst into tears. He kept repeating that he could not watch them doing that to me. Over and over he repeated it. I hugged him until he calmed down. It was an intense and powerful moment in which I felt seen and loved by a stranger, protected. I promised to go, which I, sorry, I promised to go back and talk to him the next day. I did. We had a short but incredibly deep and moving conversation in which he expressed he, he felt as though I was sacrificing myself for the message and the work. I had not thought of my work in those terms before, but as soon as he said it, I realised that I was, I am, and I was fine with that. The concept of Sanofka is at the core of all Demoa's practice, but especially this body of work, because it directly references our history. Everything the artist does is an attempt to gain an understanding of our present circumstances. Ultimately, Demoa wants the discourse stimulated by the work to encourage understanding, growth and empathy. I'm at a loss for words with that project. I am not even going to attempt to follow up on that because she says it all. The piece from Adelaide's website that I just read is mind-bending and let that be a lesson why we must protect theatre and performing arts in this country because there are fucked up things happening in this country. There have been rewinds in racial understanding, in empathy, in just being a decent human. There are people out there who I could really, really you know, deride right now. But I'm not going to because there are also awesome things and this is a wonderful example of that. It's a scintillating showcase of performance and what we can do with our art. And Adelaide, keep it up. It's incredible stuff. Um, you know, we don't choose to be living through these heavy times, but look at the backlash. Look at that awesome, creative sting in the tail that comes from you know what as a black lady i'm sure adelaide is experiencing on a whole different level to what i could ever understand um but through her work it brings me a little bit closer to understanding and i think that's a beautiful thing and the togetherness that these kind of projects do inspire <sighs> big 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 um so that's number four number five now tatsumi's paintings I'm um, sorry, I should just say you can go and check that out at adelaidedamoaart.com. That's A-D-E-L-A-I-D-E-D-A-M-O-A-H-A-R-T.com. So, now Tatsumi's paintings. This is a straightforward one. Um, now Tatsumi is a Japanese artist that I discovered, um, and she creates work so full of colour and vitality that uh, they invite the viewer to kind of enter and experience them without description or explanation and they're stunning these worlds that she creates are so alive that it's just unbelievable and i think of some of hockney's earlier works you know the iconic swimming pool stuff and the likes but it's got a very very japanese feel about it and i just think they're so striking so you know they're unapologetically personal and accomplished and i don't have a lot else to say except they move me and i would love to own some of them so go and check them out now tatsumi.net um, number six, Dewinda Bansal's Jambo Cinema. So Dewinda has become a friend over these last uh, couple of years since I discovered her work and interviewed her very briefly. 
on Arrest on the Mix and then in more long-form fashion on the last two-part episode, which was Craig Oldham and the Wind the Bandsaw. And it was called What's the Fucking Point? And that was a sentiment coming out of lockdown. So a lot of people were feeling down on their luck, feeling like they'd had things raised to the ground and asking that very question, what is the point, you know, when all this stuff's going on? But the truth is, there is always a point, and I wanted to. I, I was first reminded of that by DeWinder and Craig's work, which were incredibly nuanced, personal expressions of their story, but in a way that engaged with so many people and inspired them. And it reminded me that art has to be personal and it can be nuanced and it doesn't have to be directly attacking the source of our despondency you know whether it's global warming racial tensions whatever the issue that's causing you to feel like there is no effing point these guys reminded me that there was so jambo cinema is absolutely beautiful um so dewinda is a british-born south asian uh, lady so she was of the first generation of south asian people born and raised in this country in dewinda's case in wolverhampton and she has a warmth and a work ethic that is so infectious and powerful. Her attention to detail just brings a touch of class to everything she turns her hand to, in my opinion. And Jambo Cinema is a multifaceted installation emerging from a nostalgic time in, in the Winder's life and childhood in Wolverhampton. The project is influenced by her time growing up as a young girl in her parents' electrical shop, Bansal Electrical which also rented VHS Bollywood films. It draws upon her memories of watching Bollywood films in her Sikh extended family, pays homage to her Kenyan roots, and explores the social history of South Asian home entertainment in 1980s Britain. Boom! That's amazing. All those threads and influences could only have come through Dewinda, and I love that. Bewind, Bewind. <laughs> Bansal Electrical closed in 1989, and the stock was put into storage until now. In 2015, the window began to explore the extensive archive of the original VHS tapes, fixtures, fittings and electrical supplies from the shop, reconstructing her Kenyan-Indian living room along with the corner shop. This iteration of Jambo Cinema will re-envision Bansal Electrical for the first time. Fun, warm and evocative. Dewinda wants Jambo Cinema to be a communal space for people of all backgrounds, filled with family memorabilia. This exhibition will instigate audiences to imagine what it means to be a second generation child growing up in a first generation South Asian home in Britain. So it says it all. Dewinda is an incredible theatre producer and artist and she's also a brilliant writer which not too many people know yet because thankfully through the relationship we've built through our creativity Dewinda has shared some um, some other projects she's been working on and she's given me a little insight and she writes like a dream that again it's powerful, it's minimal, it's punchy um, and it's got the warmth that I mentioned there that uh, Dewinda exudes um, and She's also done amazing projects like the making of a South Asian wedding, which was a life-size recreation of an 1880s Indian living room. And around that living room set and the car outside, you could experience an entire day of what a South Asian wedding would have looked and felt like. So from the dancing to the making of samosas with the ladies from the Blackburn Curry Club, right through to uh, making decorations, dancing you should have seen how it pulled all these local people from Blackburn into the space for the dancing and the liveliness of that experience and also on another level um, by inviting people into that space you know they walk into what's being billed as a South Asian 1980s British living room and you just walk in and you go it's a British living room from that era it's as simple as that of course it's been personalized with lovely family photos and decorations that are very South Asian and that's a beautiful thing 
But what's really important is it's not someone standing there going, I'm no different to you, you know, we're all the same. It just does it through the art in a really non-confrontational, beautiful manner. So when people walk in there and see that stuff, they're just going, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and, it's, and it just diffuses so much bullshit. And people leave that space and the kids have had fun and the adults have seen all that and made a samosa and eaten some food together and just go, all right, fucking hell, this is, this is cool. And that's it. And Dewinder is a master of that. So go and check out her work at dewinderbandsal.com. But particularly if you get the chance to see Jambo Cinema, it's a real, real treat. Um, go back and listen to the episode where she gets into it in depth. She was basically pirating VHS tapes, Bollywood films back in the day, and it was her job to get knockoff stickers of the age certifications and guess by the front cover what they were, whether they were an 18 or a 15 or a PG, and just to take a pot shot and do that. And I love that stuff. So she is on fire at the minute. And also check out her current project, which is in collaboration with Martin Ware, founding member of Human League and Heaven 17. And that is called We Found Love Here in the 80s. And it's getting some deserved, brilliant press at the minute. So go and look it up. Um, brilliant. There you go. Number six. Next up, number seven, Mr. Bingo's hate mail. So Mr. Bingo needs no introduction, but I will give him one anyway. And this is from www.mr.bingo's official website. Mr. Bingo is an artist, speaker, and twat. <laughs> I love it, I love it, and this is why I love Mr. Bingo's work. So he's, he is who he is, right? Um, it's, right, so that's from the website, and that's... Um, Here's a description in four seconds. Mr. Bingo likes doing art. And this is a shop where you can buy things he has made. Done. In 29 seconds, Mr. Bingo was a commercial illustrator for 15 years, working regularly for clients such as the New Yorker, the Guardian, Time, Channel 4, the Mighty Boosh, and the New York Times. In 2015, he launched a Kickstarter to fund a book about his hate mail project. The campaign featured a rap video and a diverse selection of rewards, including being trolled, having your washing up done, going on a date in Weatherspoons, being told to fuck off on Christmas Day and getting shit-faced on a train. Genius. That's why I love his work. It's not just about the drawing, it's the sense of humour, it's the character, it's the purity of this shit coming from a brain that is only his. And again, it's the epitome of personal work. Um, he decided around this period to never work for clients ever again and focus on being some sort of artist, which he's done ever since. You have to take your hat off to that. Somebody who has had a vision of what they want to do, something that is success for them. And this is a theme, right, that's been coming up in some of these podcast interviews that I've been doing recently with um, Emma Isaacs, you know, the, the Creative Ways podcast, and Rob Watson from We Are Raw Design Studio on his Do Good podcast. Uh, and other ones, I've done a whole number of them, and a consistent theme has been success. Now, that can be a really bad, destructive thing, or it can be an amazing thing. So if success is the right success, and it's success for you, and it feels like success, then it's awesome. If it's success for mum, or for the CV, or for the bank, or for the job title, but it ain't chiming with your creativity and your soul, then it's the worst kind of destruction you can do yourself if that makes any sense i see so many people in cool roles you know executive creative director design director whatever it might be but i see a lot of unhappiness and resentment and they've burned out and they're just not creative because they're just jumping to deadlines and working all hours and they've just lost their thread and they've lost their path and it goes back to the magic thing and you have to think about why you're doing this and why did you choose to get into this messed up industry which is really hard to succeed in 
in the first place. And if you're not keeping hold of that thread, then you do lose your weight. But Mr. Bingo is a trailblazing example of that. So to, to get all those clients, which you know a lot of us would dream of working for, but to realize that that's not what he wanted to do and to knock it on the head and to go his own way, you've got to respect that. And he did it in the best kind of organic way, right? So, hate mail. Um, it's got the very accidental organic thread that a lot of the best personal projects do. I'm taking this from a Guardian interview conducted with Mr. Bingo. It all started one night, he says, in my studio in 2011 when I'd had a few drinks. I went on Twitter and I said I will send a postcard with an offensive message to the first person who replies to this. Two minutes later... He had 50 replies. The winner was Jonathan Hopkins from Forest Hill in London, to whom Mr Bingo sent a postcard that read, Fuck you, Jonathan. Fuck you, and fuck your shit legs. It was accompanied by a drawing of his legs. Mr Bingo had never seen Jonathan's legs, which he depicted as hideous, sawn-off cylinders. It's quite possible that Jonathan has shapely legs, like a young Shirley MacLaine. Oh, no legs at all, adds Mr Bingo. But that's how hatred works. It thrives on ignorance and injustice. And for me, there is the genius of Mr Bingo's work because it is thoughtful and it is considered and it comes across as crass and in your face. But if you ever have the chance to meet him, I went for a pint with Dave Sedgwick from Studio DPD and Mr Bingo just before he did a talk at Craft in Manchester. And he was lovely. He was a gentle, quiet character um, who was just passionate about the work. And I think there's something about his work that creates the illusion of laddishness and thuggery and in-your-face insults. And yes, it is that. And that's what's amazing about it because it's really raw and it, and it does that. But he's not that. And it's brilliant. And it, so it comes from his sense of humour and his uh, irreverence to illustration and design. And, and he's not afraid of being naive and stripped back and, and not technically accomplished or beautiful design you know but that's not him as a personality and i love that they can that he can separate the person who he is and mr bingo and i think that's genius and it's another way to go you know um hate mail was wildly successful you know from um from a 50 quid have a go abusive postcard he then set up a service and the demand got so much that he had to close the service and people were paying through the arse to be designed uh, to be insulted by mr bingo and what a usp had created there so it was no surprise that his crowdfunding campaign just blew the roof off um and in no small you know in no small way the uh, the rap video he created was was a big big part of that and genius genius marketing so he's a great example of you know what success can look like when it's right for you so he, essentially he bet on himself and hate mail took off first through a published book of them through penguin and then i guess like myself probably felt quite disillusioned with you know the royalties and the, and the model that is the traditional publishing um it's got a lot of you know it's got a lot of drawbacks if you can get past the prestige of it all then you know there are a lot more gains from the indie world if you can make it work and he made it work to the tune of something like 100k on that crowdfunding campaign to make this beautiful book and it was just knockout you know and he is who he is now he's he's kind of famous in the illustration world rightly so and um it's all there to see over at mr dot bingo number eight lisa maltby's insult series so keeping with the theme of insults doing good lisa maltby is a sheffield based designer and illustrator and i shared the story of her personal projects um using the insults that she'd come across in her career on episode 53 and it was called making use of arseholes 
So following a string of inappropriate, ill-considered or accidental insults in her professional endeavours, Lisa opted, instead of venting without direction on social media, like too many people do, to create a series of typographic artworks using such gems that she'd encountered, like, we can't pay you, but we'll give you massive exposure. We've all heard that one, haven't we? Um, so instead of blowing up and, and, like I say, just you know, venting and naming and shaming, she was clever enough to create, typographically, a giant pair of pants with that on them. Giant exposure. Brilliant. Um, and another one that she came across was, I've been trying to copy your work, but I'll just have to commission you because I can't do it. Oh, who are these people? So she had this whole string of unbelievable... Um, comments like this and basically created a series of typographic illustrations you have to give it to her and the best thing about that project is it had balls just like lisa and it had attitude just like lisa and it showed a keen sense of humor which was entirely lisa's she's funny wonderfully direct whoever's met lisa will know that and she's also incredibly resourceful and creative and all of this was shown through this project better than any cv or um, you know, design job for, for clients could and hats off to Lisa for doing that so go and check it out over at lisamaltby.com Number 9 Breaking the Habit Podcast So there's a story here in this one and it's a kind of collaborative um, I've done this as a collaborative thing between designer Ash Watkins and podcast creator Christian Clark So Jack Renwick Studio in London their senior designer Ash Watkins he sent in this project to me for this podcast because he was very proud of it. It's something he did voluntarily in the hours outside of his work for primary school at childhood friend Christian Clark. So the design, the branding for this this podcast, which is Christian's response to struggling with alcoholism. He's now a recovering alcoholic and his podcast deals with mental health, well-being and addiction. And I think it's a fantastic use of those struggles. It really, really is. Um, and some of the greatest personal projects do come from adversity. And this is one of them. So Ash Watkins reached out to Christian after seeing that he was launching his podcast and said, you know, he told him the importance of strong design and strong branding for the podcast and how it could help. And Christian got him on, on board to design it. And it's just a stunning, uh, well-considered, creative, minimal, impactful design job by Ash. So hats off to you, Ash, because I think it's fantastic. Um, but it just sits hand in hand with not just the podcast themes and the topics, but also Christian's warm tones. Um, go and listen to the podcast and you'll see what I mean. It just syncs up perfectly with it. And it's just wonderful. Um... You know, as a podcast host myself, um, the exhilarating feeling and belonging to a community of like-minded people that this stuff brings is absolutely crucial to the upkeep of my own day-to-day -day mental health. You know, it really, really helps. So thank you guys for being a part of it. Um, so to see this kind of result from serious suffering is uplifting for me personally. And like I say, it's the meshing of Ash's brilliant design and ideas and Christian's warmth as a host, which really make this one a success. So you can listen to the podcast. You can follow it on Instagram at breakingthehabits underscore pod. Um, and at Christian Clark, Christian with a K, K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, Clark51 on Instagram too. And it's on all good podcast platforms, so check it out. Number 10, Bike Storms, McFerrari. Well, this is a, a real, real love of mine. This is a personal favourite. So there's two stories within this number 10. And this is the first one, so Bike Storms with McFerrari. Um, from the Independent newspaper. 
and this is Max comments. Seeing kids on bikes swerving buses would make my heart jump out of my mouth, says London, former London bus driver Mac Ferrari. I decided I could either moan about it or I could find a solution. The solution that Mac found was to start promoting youth bike riding as a sport that should be taken seriously. Five years ago, he set up Bike Storms, a community that connects young people who have a passion for bikes through free and regular cycling meetups, as well as a biannual mass ride to protest against youth violence. His work has been recognised by Lucas Ed Sport as part of its first movers list, celebrating 50 individuals who are using sport to change communities and encourage more active lives. Mac, a keen motorcyclist, didn't even own a bicycle when he set up Bike Storms. At the time, I was getting a lot of respect for my motorbike riding, so I used that cool status to put it into bicycles. Unlike with motorbikes, where we had a community with regular rides, there was no place for kids on bikes to go. They were being shooed away from the car parks. I love kids and I wanted to protect and help them. The idea was to give young people an alternative to crime through bike riding. So I sold my motorbike, I got myself on a bicycle and started riding. Soon, I had a huge crew and we grew and grew. In my dreams, I was imagining 500 people wheeling through central London for the Bike Storms cause. Since the first Bike Storms ride in 2014, more than 7,000 people, mainly teenagers, but also children as young as nine, have taken part. The movement has spread to cities across the UK, from Birmingham to Liverpool and to Paris and Amsterdam. The most skilled riders have become celebrities in their community. But Mac is very clear that it's not just about having a good time or getting some exercise. As, a, as the number of deaths due to youth violence and knife crime continues to rise across the UK, Mac is determined to use bike storms to break down barriers and bring young people together. As such aggressive behaviour, drugs and fighting are not tolerated. I want the kids to fight stereotypes, so it's about building a community where they support each other, says Mac. As long as their time is occupied and they have somewhere to ride, they won't be on the streets getting in trouble. I treat them all like sportsmen and give them a respect that they don't want to lose. I tell them it's their responsibility to behave well so that they control themselves and find their own respect. So this is uh, overwhelmingly positive to me because, in my opinion, this Tory government do not give a fuck about young people and about youth violence because it serves their agenda. They can, you know... We'll get more coppers on the streets. We'll, we'll tool the police up to deal with it. Fuck you. I feel really strongly about this issue and their complete ignorance to creativity and the arts and sport and the importance of belonging and purpose and community spirit is embarrassing. It's shameful. I really think it is and it really makes me angry as if you can't tell. So when I met Mac, um, it really lifted my spirits because part of the reason that Andy Cottrell and I wanted to create Lend Me Your Ear, the project, was to celebrate all of those important things that we need, not just as young people, but as people, as human beings, uh, empowerment, direction, purpose, fulfilment, uh, identity, you know, feeling like we've got a voice. And for a lot of them kids who have to exist on fuck all money with impoverished families in a country this rich, it's... Um, it's awful and they go down the wrong path and you can totally understand why you can see why that should not be met with arms and police and you know and detention because it's so so sad what those kids need is the love that they haven't had in their home lives they need direction they need to be shown that there is a creative industry that there are ways to channel their frustrations and their anger and their bad start in life and from that you know the energy that some of them kids have pent up is truly truly um 
it's so powerful if they can channel it in a positive direction and i saw this growing up around council estates where i'm from in keith i saw kids just as smart and sometimes more artistically talented than me i saw them go astray and end up dealing and all this shit because they didn't have the guidance that i had they didn't chance upon the mentors that i was lucky enough to stumble upon so to see mac ferrari doing this amazing work and and giving a voice to 7,000 kids, you know, on the streets of London and Birmingham and the rest of it is just, it's saintly behaviour, in my opinion. So that's where I stand on the thing. For anyone who saw Glastonbury uh, 2019, you know, these kids got to be a part of Stormzy's performance on stage, on the pyramid stage. Wow, it's amazing. So when I was doing, the reason I mentioned the Let Me Your Ear exhibition, Mac Ferrari came down to our launch event. And that's where I met him for the first time. And his gentle, quiet passion was empowering and, and, and inspiring. And I, um, I, I must get him on the podcast at some point. We have talked about doing that and Max up for it. So we will do that at some stage. But what happened was uh, we had the big launch event. There were loads of people there. It was a really cool night. And it got to the Saturday. And, and this was now when the, the exhibition was open to the public. So I'm sitting downstairs. Andy and I took turns to man the space. No one had come in yet. I had a mild hangover on Saturday morning and I'm kind of twiddling my thumbs looking around thinking it's amazing that this came about. Um, and I should also say that we did the exhibition at Stance in London in Common Garden who very kindly gave us the space to use because they love the project. So Stance is a sock brand, it's a sock brand but they're built on kind of skate values and they support the arts and sports and all sorts of really good stuff in society and do loads of good work with their brand exposure. And they... Um, these kids, the Bike Storms kids, are now brand ambassadors for Stance too. So they came into the shop and Mac popped down. And I was really delighted to see him again after I'd met him on the Thursday night when we launched it. And he said, how much room you got down here? So I kind of looked around and it's quite a big exhibition space. I went, yeah, quite, quite a bit actually, why? He said, give me one minute. And he ran back upstairs. And the next minute it sounded like trains were uh, running on tracks over the top of the roof. It's like thundering noise. <laughs> and then about 15 kids, it might have been 20, 25, I can't remember. There was a hell of a lot, came down the stairs on their bikes. And I was shell-shocked. I was delighted to meet all the bike storms kids. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And they were very quiet, very respectful, very, very gentle. They parked their bikes up. Um, Mac asked if I could say a few words for the kids so I gave a little bit of a presentation on what the exhibition was how it had come about and why we wanted to shout about all these things and they asked a lot of questions and took in the exhibition and at the end I said guys before you go like I know you know health and safety and all that but can you do a few wheelies around the work I wanted to see it in action and they did they got their bikes they did some stunts there they whizzed around the place and I loved it and it was absolutely amazing so um, that was a moment for me that was really, really uh, quite special. And ever since, I've kept an eye on what they're doing, and it's just gone from strength to strength. And um, as you'll see from this next project that I'm going to feature along the same lines, what you need to realise is they just ain't going to get the funding from this government because they just don't believe. And they don't want a society where people are thinking for themselves and, you know, independent thought. It's, it's, that's, you know, historically... I dare say the majority of governments just they don't want that they want the opposite they want those kids on their fucking knees desperate and in poverty because when you have people in that state people are vulnerable and they have to take the handouts from the government and then they're in their pockets and it's disgusting but people like Mac Ferrari are fighting back um, so go and support the Bike Storms community and go and have a look what they're doing please because this is a really a real personal favourite of mine which brings me to the second of number 10 which is Kerry O'Brien's Young Urban Arts Foundation 
Um, so it's a vital organisation built from the ground up, harnessing Kerry O'Brien's story of personal challenges and successes. Um, so her successes came as Lady MC in the mid-90s on the jungle scene, and she built quite the name for herself as one of the first female MCs. Since 2009, Young Urban Arts Foundation has been helping vulnerable and disadvantaged young people fulfil their potential by engaging them with music and other arts. Young Urban Arts Foundation creates a safe space for young people to break free from the fears and barriers they face, talk about mental health issues, and it shows, by example, that they can become whoever they want to be. Um, so Kerry O'Brien is the CEO and founder, and she is a force of nature. She is one of the most inspiring people I've ever met, um, and you should go back and listen to the episode I did with her in the, arts, uh, in the archive. It's called um, A Story About Young People. Um, I can't remember my own episode but it's awesome search arrest on the mix and carry your brain and you'll find the episode in the archive but it's an absolute belter um so young urban arts foundation is a grassroots organization leading the way with creative outreach programs directly on estates in schools and on the streets making an impact within the community in a matter of days it's very direct and it's very immediate and that's one of the things i love about this project because you know when it comes to kids who are, who are you know on them streets and are impoverished or starving Immediacy is important and what you find is, you know, to get any kind of handouts or support, it takes fucking ages because of all the bureaucracy. We'll not go down there again, but, you know, it's sad. Um, so the immediacy thing is really important for this charity. In nine years, we've had a positive impact in over 17,000 young people's lives in London and beyond, developing future talent from singers, songwriters, rappers, fashion designers to dancers. We have three key programmes. The Outreach Media Bus, and I love this one, taking music workshops into the heart of the community. So Kerry talked at length on the podcast about their bus, which is kitted out with like MacBooks and recording studios and production and mentors. And it drives into the States in the summer holidays when kids are kind of at a loose end and not a lot to do because of the lack of provision for them. And they can come on the bus and talk to people about, you know, their, what they're going through and about their, anything they're into, whether it's music and the rest of it. And they can pick up and play. They can have a go at recording and making tracks and, and just hang out. And sometimes, as Kerry explained on the episode, it's just as simple as hanging out and learning about another person on the estate who's maybe got something in common with you that you didn't know existed. And I just think that's magic. Uh, the second part of their programme is emotional well-being, focusing on education, developing positive mental health, self-resilience, self-awareness and personal development. And number three is creative workshops, delivering a range of workshops and programmes in centres and schools to include DJ skills, performance, rapping, singing and visual arts. Um, so one of the questions I saw posed to Kerry was what challenges do your service users face? Knife crime grabs the headlines. However, fundamentally, it is mental health problems that amplify fears and poverty magnifies pressures, leaving young people from disadvantaged and privileged backgrounds vulnerable to child exploitation through gang grooming, being taken out of their locality, subjected to violence and specifically targeted during the holiday season. My apologies, there's a BMW with a really unnecessarily loud engine. But there we are, I'm recording this in a car park, so that's what you get, that's where we are. This is coronavirus. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, uh, the Young Urban Arts Foundation are amazing. We supported them. They were our lead charity partner for, for the Lend Me Your Ear project, and I will continue to support them. That's why I'm giving them a shout-out, because they're awesome. Um, it's episode 108 if you want to go back into the archive and hear Carrie's story, and you really, really should. 
That's number 10. Gary Mansfield is number 11. So Gary Mansfield's Walk a Mile Project. So Gary Mansfield spent time in prison. In prison, he discovered and fell in love with art. It turned his life around. You can hear the full story on episode 99 of Rest on the Mix when we had a chat. So since regaining his freedom, he's created a number of projects, curated big shows in London and beyond. He hosts the Ministry of Arts podcast, and in response to COVID through his Ministry of Arts project, he uh, created a virtual exhibition space that people can hire as a proper gallery space in a virtual environment as an alternative way for artists to show their work um, in, a, in a traditional gallery space without the bricks and mortar museums that were off, off limits during this time. So Gary told me about a project he created called Walk a Mile and it was about the importance of sharing things, these skeletons in our closet that we all have and particularly for people like Gary who maybe spent time in prison and gone down a wrong path it's vitally important that they get to talk about these things. So <laughs> the story is amazing so the, the idea of the project was that you would send Gary a pair of your shoes with a story that you wanted to get off your chest and Gary would read the story and he would literally walk a mile in your shoes no matter what they were which has its own comical benefits because Gary's a big fella he's um, he's built he's tall and he's got a beard which makes his story quite funny so he would like I say would walk a mile in these shoes and one of the stories goes that he was sent quite a small pair of stilettos um, and he thought, oh God, I'm a big fella, you know, and it's, I live on this estate, how am I going to walk around in these things? And he knew they'd be ridiculed somewhere because that's just what happens. And he set off walking and he told me that he walked through these bin sheds and there's three kids smoking weed, hanging out, these teenagers. So they burst out laughing when this, you know, six foot something bloke with a beard comes staggering through on stilettos. And he's like, look lads, I'm doing this for a good reason. This project I'm doing, walk a mile, here's the deal. And he explained the project very briefly to them and they kind of looked at him a bit dumbfounded and he walked off. And a few days later, uh, he got a pair of football boots, these damaged old football boots through the letterbox with a little note and a story. And one of the kids, it turns out, you know, he kind of got off track a little bit in his life and he lost what was a very promising football career ahead of him. And Gary was like, okay, wow, it just goes to show and that's why he does these projects. Be, to give people the opportunity to share something and I love it when art becomes so um, human in that way you know that we can connect through these shared experiences often traumatic and I just think that's what's great about fine art sometimes and that's um, Walk a Mile it's an amazing project and Gary's racking up you know quite the shoe collection and these stories now so he's an amazing um, facilitator of amazing arts projects so go and check him out instagram.com forward slash misogar and i do implore you to go and listen to episode 99 in the archive for his uh, in-depth story and listen to his own amazing podcast the ministry of art so the last but very not least of part one is number 12 and it's jane boyer's women in print so jane is awesome and anyone who knows this show will know i'm a big fan she's been on the show twice um i wouldn't rule out her coming back a third time but she's an artist and illustrator based in manchester um, so women in print, from political reformists to paleobotanists, the work of women has helped to shape the world we live in today. Women in print is a project which aims to shine a light on women's history and the stories within our places through print. We work with a broad range of artists, designers, illustrators and makers working in the north of England. So initially the project launched an exhibition of illustration and it's evolved ever since. So it includes work from creatives included Eve Warren, 
LJB Studios Laura Bost, Helen Musselwhite, Anna Mullin, aka Sneaky Raccoon, Tash Wilcox, Emma Reynolds, Kat Loveday, Mimo, Rachel Whale, Ellie Thomas, Sarah Cowan, Angela Roche, Vicky Carr, Studio Dottos, Danny Molyneux, Caroline Dowsett, Deanna Halsall, Dominique Byron, Joyce Lee, Mariel Osborne. And it celebrates the likes of Emmeline Pankhurst, Ethel Sonny Lowry, Louise Dacacodia, Elizabeth Raffold, Marie Stopes, Anna Horniman, Enriquetta Rylands, Alice Margaret Cook, Victoria Wood, Carolina Hearn, Mar- Mary Stott, Kate Cross, Dr. Kathleen, Mary Drew Baker, Helen Bradley, Sheila Delaney, Amy, Amy Ashwood Garvey, Amy Lai, Sylvia Sham, Ellen Wilkinson, Clara, Clara Walkton, Elizabeth Gaskell, and Emily Williamson. Sorry, I'm laughing because I tripped off my words towards the end there. What a roll call. What a roll call of powerful women doing amazing work. And I remember talking to Jane at the time and she felt a little bit underwhelmed with the, well, overwhelmed with the lack of celebration around these women, you know, when we had all these northern role models we're all very familiar with. Nothing against the male role models, but they were, you know, they had a hell of a lot of exposure, you know, from your Gallagher's to Ian Brown to... Giggsy and Beckham and all these Manchester, you know, um, prominent figures that we were used to hearing about. Um, and the women just weren't getting that, and that was Jen's sentiment. And growing up in Bolton, that's what she felt. And this project was so personal to her as a, as a keen feminist that she wanted to see a little bit more equality in that respect. You know, she loved a lot of these uh, male role models just herself, but she just felt that the females deserved just as much attention, and they weren't getting it, and that's what this project was. And it's evolved into... Um, you know, something bigger than she could have ever imagined. They had an exhibition um, over at Dunham Massey, which is a National Trust, you know, site, and it's really helped to put Jane on the map as a freelancer after leaving Raw Design Studio. And like so many of these personal projects, that's what it does, because like I said at the top of the show, it packs a punch, it channels something unique about a character that we can't always get in commissioned briefs. And I just think Jane's killed it with this project, so hats off to you, Jane. Uh, you know how I feel about it, but it's always nice to say it publicly on this podcast. So go back and listen to the episodes with Jane. I think it's episode 35 she first appeared on and detailed all of this wonderful stuff. Um, but she's awesome, so go and check out her work. Um, and she's just Google her name, Jane Boyer. She's out there. I haven't written down on my notes the uh, URL. But she's a, a special talent, and it's amazing to see the project doing so well. And that brings me to the end of part one of this personal project special, all about self-initiated work. Thank you again to the sponsors of the show, the Association of Illustrators, theaoi.com, illustrationx.com, wonderful illustration agency, part of the one... Uh, the one percent oh god i've gone blank that's terrible um 10 million trees anyways their initiative they're a part of that's it one percent for the planet um in conjunction with we forest doing amazing stuff and do go check out their event bright event um which i talked about at the top of the show give me one second and i'll find it for you it's called rewilding blah, 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 rewilding tapping into the power of nature um and it sounds really interesting um, you know they're looking at the the worth and the, the necessity of rewilding to restore the balance to the the environment. It's about the reverse of the loss of biodiversity, um, and reco- restoring ecosystems, revitalizing local economies, and all this amazing stuff. So go and check them out. Thank you to those guys. Thank you to the beautiful listeners for coming in and giving my silly voice some time. Um, do go check out my new 
writing website bantallenwriter.com because I've had such fun doing it and it was the catalyst for wanting to do this episode because of my new book coming up called Your Mum and Other Stories from the Backstreets of Britain which I'm very proud of, I'm very happy with, it's a very personal, passionate project and it's why I wanted to do all this stuff and tell you about these awesome people doing awesome projects so thank you send some in send them in on the social at arrest on mimics or at ben talon all one word it might be that i haven't recorded the second part yet and i slip your project in there don't be too proud don't be too much of a tra- traditional artist get me your work shout about it <laughs> cheers guys thank you for listening this has been arrest on the mix personal project part one of two next part coming up next week cheers catch you later